now, time for seafood news. We're back. <laughs> All right, I'm just going with it. With the Seafood News Podcast, that is. I'm Seafood Market Reporter Lauren Castiglione. And I'm having way too much fun. <laughs> just kidding. I'm a Seafood News Staff Writer Amanda Buckle, and we're getting silly on this week's episode <laughs> for no reason at all. But uh, this week's episode is not brought to you by Ernerberry Seafood Import Workshop. Ooh, we're switching it up. That's right. Uh, this week's episode is actually brought to you by Ernerberry's Reporter, the quarterly news magazine for the food industry professional, which is packed with the latest industry headlines, analysis, and trending articles. Contact Advertise at earnerberry.com to be a featured sponsor in the spring edition of the Reporter, which is distributed to thousands of protein industry professionals, including a 5,500 bonus. 5,500. Yeah. Yeah, 5,500. <laughs> that's a lot. Including a 5,500 bonus distribution to attendees at Seafood Expo North America in Boston. So make sure you are in front of your customers. So Amanda, you just got back from Boston. Tell us all about the Seafood Import Workshop. What an event. So this is actually the third one I've been able to attend, and I've got to say they just keep getting better. Nice. Yeah, honestly. Um, our speakers, uh, Scott Zerman of Safe Quality Seafood Associates, Corey L. Norton from Thai Union's uh, Group Council for Sustainable Sourcing. Uh, we also had Jonathan Lieberman of New York Customs Brokers and Michael Lieberman of Foe & Son. Once again, not related. <laughs> two different Liebermans. Um, but they just put so much heart into their presentations, and they really got everyone involved. And, you know, everyone that was, like, uh, there was just very engaged and talking, asking questions. That's you know. great, yeah. It makes it so much more interesting. It does, and it gets your money's worth. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, that's, like I said, that's why, you know, I think these workshops are great. It's, like, the fact that these attendees can interact and, and ask these questions and, and yeah, get everything that they want answered. answered. And um, this workshop actually had government reps from NOAA, uh, CBP, FDA, and USDA. So attendees even got to ask questions to them about SIMP, audits, and just, you know, so much more. So uh, it was really interesting even just to see... You know, because, you know, we're, we read things and we hear from things, you know, I'm sure you talk to, you know, your cus- your contacts and you hear different issues that they're, you know, engaged with. But right. it's always interesting to hear, you know, outside. Right. I happening. mean, what other opportunity puts you face to face with all these organizations? You can't yeah. beat that. No, you can't at all. And they're like, you know, at first you think it would be like intimidating and like some people would be like nervous about talking to a government rep because you don't want to say the wrong thing. But, but they're actually real people, huh? They're, they're <laughs> They like, and they're happy to share all. Like, they're happy to answer questions. They're happy right. to share their knowledge. Um, the guy from the FDA did a demo on the on their website, you know, showing people how to get access to different information, and that's awesome. They're so helpful. It's it's honestly really fantastic. But anyway, I am definitely glad to be back in New Jersey and behind this mic because we have a fantastic show. That we do. This week, we welcome Laurel Raffin, the director of national accounts for Open Blue Cobia, onto the podcast. Laurel joins us this week to talk about SeaShare, which is one of the group's projects that National Fisheries Institute's Future Leaders class had to work on this year. Yes, and Laurel is actually the 2018 Future Leaders class president, Madam President, if you will. So before we jump into other news, let's take a listen. Future Leaders have been working with SeaShare, uh, which is a nonprofit um, that's been founded in 1994, and it helps the seafood industry donate to hunger relief efforts in the United States. Um, and actually, I was, comp- I was unaware of it uh, until we joined the NFI. Um, and every year, our class has done a project on trying to raise awareness or generate donations for this great cause. 
So this year, our um, incentive or our goal is to raise not only money and donations, but awareness for C-Share to make people like, like me. You know, I've been in the industry for six years and I didn't know that C-Share was, was working in and amongst us. So what we're trying to do is get um, social media involved. There, I mean, think about it, there were probably, what, like 40, were there 40 different uh, companies in our class? Maybe not, say 35? Yeah, close probably that, yeah. If you think of if each one of our companies put something on our social media saying, hey, C-Share is doing this, can you contribute, can you donate, um, that's going to reach all of our platforms and all the people who follow us. Um, so we're working on that. Uh, so far we've raised about $6,000. Um, oh, wow. And we're trying to be, yeah, so it's pretty cool, eh? Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, we're, we're October is um, National Seafood Month. And I come from an aquaculture background, and in the past, Seashare started by uh, using bycatch from wild fisheries, um, and so now we're trying to bring in aquaculture because we need to support that as well. Um, so I work for Open Blue, which is a, a cobia farm, um, so we are donating product as well. Um, so that we can get some, some aquaculture in there, too. Oh, wow. So this is kind of be like a little bit of an evolution then of Seashare. <laughs> I hope that that's what happens by the end of the year. Yeah. yeah we're, we're trying to turn it around a little bit. Well, I think, yeah, I think what's interesting is that, you know, just because this is a, a class project and, you know, obviously some companies send people every year to the future leaders class, but you're right. I mean, you're, you're, it's 35 different companies and, you know, it's people that haven't heard about C-Share before. It's companies that maybe haven't had a chance to work with them before. So it's a really great opportunity to, to kind of just spread the word and, and, you know, hopefully advance, you know, where, where it's going. Absolutely, and I think it's also important, too, because with having us share it, it's going to people who are maybe outside the seafood industry as well, um, and, it, you know, every time we share it on a personal platform, that gets, so maybe we get a money donation from somebody who are a friend or a family, but it makes the awareness spread beyond the industry, um, and I think that that's something that is really important, because we don't want to just have a one-and-done donation. We don't want just, oh, yeah, it's National Seafood Month, so I'll make a donation this month. We want to create lasting partnerships, because people need to eat more seafood all months of the year. And so far, Seashare has uh, donated or coordinated donations of over 200 million seafood servings to date. Wow. Um, that's crazy and so we're hoping to increase that to 400 million you know not obviously this year but we want to see that number keep rising yeah. we want to make these lasting partnerships that's great so how can uh, you know, our, our listeners get involved what can they do how can they donate so we have um and there's a, a website that you can go and just make a, a monetary donation um i i think we could share that through you yep we can definitely I, post the link mm -hmm. okay excellent um, and then also I can share with you the email of the gal at C-Share who coordinates all the donations. And something that's really cool that what C-Share does is that they handle all of the logistics as well. So you get in, in touch with them and say, we have X product here, and they will work with you to get it picked up and get it delivered to the end user. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's, there's really, there's nothing uh, stopping anyone from, from participating in it. No. <laughs> there should be no roadblocks on this donation. No, <laughs> it should be uh, as easy as possible. All right, perfect. Well, Laurel, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, make sure everyone checks out Seashare and donates, um, not just during National Seafood Month, but year-round. Absolutely. All right, thanks again, Laurel. Thanks so much, Amanda.
Thank you, Laurel, for jumping onto the podcast to talk about C-Share. For those interested in donating products, you can email maryh at cshare.org. And those who can donate money can do so by visiting www.cshare.org slash donate slash NFI 2018. So many slashes. <laughs> Only two. It's okay. Um, if you can't find it, just contact us and, and we'll get you in touch with the right people. But, uh, you know, C-Share really is an, a great nonprofit and they're doing so much to help hunger relief efforts in the United States. So it's great to be able to help shed some light on their efforts. Um, you know, so thanks again, Laurel, for joining us. But moving on to the news, uh, there has been another North Atlantic right whale death. Oh, here we go again with the depressing news. Yep. NOAA confirmed the third North Atlantic right whale mortality of 2018 earlier last week. NOAA vessel Henry B. Bigelow reported a whale carcass floating approximately 100 miles east off Nantucket last Sunday. Experts reviewed photographs of the carcass and determined it to be a sub-adult North Atlantic right whale. Based on the photographs, scientists believe that the marks on the carcass are consistent with entanglement. However, NOAA said that it's too early to, quote-unquote, speculate on the cause of death. NOAA scientists and members of the U.S. Coast, uh, Coast Guard were able to find the carcass again Monday afternoon and took additional photographs and samples to learn more about the whale. And, uh, yeah, I think we're going to have to change the podcast name from Seafood News Podcast to the We're in a North Atlantic Right Whale Crisis podcast. Yeah, it seems fitting. Yeah, uh, it just, it's, it's too much. It and, like, and much. The, the crazy thing is just, like, it's, like, what do you do to, to stop it? It's, like, we've already talked about, like, a, you know, uh, traps, lobster traps without, you know, ropeless fishing gear. Like, it's just not feasible right now. Right, there's too expensive. Yeah, and it's like, what are you going to do? Like, close down areas, which, like, sometimes, you know, they can do, but it's affecting then fishermen. It's it just like there's the no... the livelihood of the fishermen, yeah. so... There's no win-win situation here. We'll figure it out. We will. <laughs> you and I, together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As we mentioned, this is the third confirmed right whale death of 2018. The first right whale death was recorded off Virginia in January. A necropsy showed that the cause of death of the whale, a female of reproducing age, was chronic entanglement. The second right whale death of 2018 was recorded in August off Tom's Next Point, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. So let's just keep the train rolling downhill, shall we? Yeah, why not? Starkiss has pled guilty to a single count of price fixing for canned tuna and has agreed to pay a $100 million fine. Yeah. The Justice Department announced the plea and fine amount in a filing in California's Northern District Federal Court. The charge is that between November uh, 2011 and December 2013, Starkist engaged in a conspiracy with Bumblebee and Chicken of the Sea, owned by Thai Union, to fix prices for canned tuna in the United States. Yeah, according to the filing document, Starkist and its uh, executives, officers, and employees engaged in conversations and discussions and attended meetings with representatives of other major packaged seafood producing firms. They agreed and reached mutual understandings during these conversations, discussions, and meetings to fix, raise, and maintain the prices of packaged seafood sold in the United States. And they negotiated prices with customers and issued price announcements for packaged seafood in accordance with the agreements and mutual understandings reached. Of the three tuna companies, Starkist has agreed to pay a $100 million fine, and one of its executives, Stephen Hodge, a former senior vice president for sales, has entered a guilty plea but has not yet been sentenced. Now, Bumblebee has actually already paid a $25 million fine, which was reduced by the government due to the potential for a larger fine to push the company into receivership. Uh, Two former executives of Bumblebee have also entered uh, guilty pleas. 
Uh, former Chief Executive Chris Lischewski has pleaded not guilty to, not guilty, sorry, to a single price-fixing charge and is facing a criminal trial. Meanwhile, Chicken of the Sea, owned by Thai Union, has not been fined or sanctioned. That company took advantage of protection from prosecution offered to the first company to come forward with evidence in a price-fixing conspiracy case. Thai Union, the parent company of Chicken of the Sea, notified the Justice Justice Department of the potential price-fixing actions after it discovered them in the process of attempting to purchase Bumblebee. The government agreed not to prosecute Chicken of the Sea in return for that company providing evidence of the conspiracy. It's really such a wild story, so let's just cap things off there. I don't know where we can go from that one. Um, But that does wrap up our show for the week. Once again, this week's episode is brought to you by Erner Bears Reporter, the quarterly news magazine for the food industry professional. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.